0: It's time to start our lesson this morning. Well, we're glad that everybody's here, and I'm Linda Smith, and I think all of you know me, and I've implored my friend Zoe Scott to help, and because uh, I think it's always more interesting to um, kind of have a conversation back and forth, and of course we invite you to uh, converse with us as well. And today's lesson is Lesson 2 on the Atonement of Christ. And this one is uh, really an interesting lesson and will share with us the great controversy and how Lucifer made his decision to defy God's character and his universal principles. So I really have enjoyed studying this lesson and hope you have too because the great controversy is the base of all of our thinking about how God is running this universe isn't it so I think uh, we'll have a great conversation let's start with prayer father in heaven we are excited to talk today about your character and how the origin of sin actually happened and what exactly does that mean for us as we are in this world of evil And so we pray that today we might magnify your character, understand it more. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Let's start with reading Sabbath's lesson, paragraph 1 and 2.
1: No matter how much Lucifer had, no matter how exalted he was, it wasn't enough. He wanted more. Thus began the mystery of iniquity, the origin of sin in God's universe. The origin of evil within this perfect being will remain a mystery, because there was no reason for it. If it could be explained, it could be justified. It began with the first small step that Lucifer took in cherishing a particular emotion and desire. The conflicting emotions within Lucifer, together with the misuse of his God-given freedom, resulted in a cosmic conflict, a full-fledged rebellion against God in which suffering and death have impacted innumerable creatures. Today each one of us is living with the results of this conflict. But don't despair, as we will see in future lessons, Christ came to bring a fair and just resolution to issues that caused this cosmic crisis. Mm -hmm.
0: And so this just explains what the mystery of all this is about. I think Mrs. White tells us in the first chapter of The Desire of Ages that if we sit back and ponder for hours the origin of sin and how this could have happened, we'll make ourselves crazy because we cannot understand. Um, and so there is a sort of a mystery to this. How did sin happen right under the nose of God? Um, so I, I really believe that if you sit and ponder and think, and, and as I did this week, it's, uh, it's unfathomable that uh, he would think this thing. My husband kind of shared with me, what do you think about somebody? It, it, he probably was the first created being um, that God had ever created and he got to a point where he thought he was a god because he had all the other responsibilities and privileges that God had because he was sitting right there at the throne of God. That's an idea, but still, how did it ever happen that selfish pride would start with that? It's, it's an interesting thought. It
2: kind of makes you wonder if he would have gone the same route if... At that point, he knew where, where that direction would have gone. Mm-hmm. I mean, God knew where he would go. Mm-hmm. But did Satan know? I wonder if he would have made the same choice before he was too far gone.
0: If he had known what had what would happen in the long end.
2: destroy his world. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Um, it's an interesting thought. Um, sometimes we play a game when we do our Bible study um, with kids. We play a game that um, instead of... Uh, A story that we well know in the Bible, what if something would happen instead of, and we've done that before too, what if Satan decided to say, oh, I'm wrong, I repent. And there is a point, Mrs. White says, that God would have said, fine, we take you back in, but he didn't make that connection and so uh, kept getting more pride and more selfishness.
1: We see as humans today, though, people know the results and the consequences for certain actions, you know, from heavy smoking or drinking. And right. They've seen other people experience the results of those choices and right. still make the same choice.
0: Right. Exactly. So, uh, so we see that over and over, don't yeah, we? Over and over. Mm-hmm. But
1: So the trust is trusting in that it would happen to you, trusting God that, that when he said, you know, you'll surely die, you will die, mm-hmm. you know, without
0: knowing. Mm-hmm. Right. It's an interesting thought. Some of the questions we're going to be asking today, and I don't think that we'll get answers to all of them, is, so what really went wrong in God's universe? How do we explain the origin and existence of evil? We've already kind of tried to t- touch on that. How does God look in and explain these things? How do we encounter how do we counter the argument that a loving God would not permit evil and suffering? You know, there's a lot of philosophers out there talking about that. What alternatives are there to the method God chooses to use, and why does God want the agreement of his cre- why does God want the agreement of his created beings? Why didn't God destroy Lucifer as soon as he began to rebel? So those are some of the questions we're going to talk about. but I want you to imagine first of all, because this happened to me this week, imagine you've been accused of doing something that you have not done of being someone you are not. I was accused of saying something that I did not say this week, and it affected my relationships at work. So somebody believed something that someone else had said. Have you ever had that happen to Mm me? All right. I wanted to become defensive immediately. I wanted to shout to the world, Someone has lied about me. I wanted to lash out and maybe, in defending my own character, defame someone else's. I wanted to show him that I was better than that. But how does someone go about that? It's difficult to do. So instead of saying, you've believed a lie. I'm telling you who told you the lie. And that makes them look bad. I have to let this thing play out and show what my character is really like. And I wonder if we really think about that whole great big controversy with God and with Satan as well. He couldn't actually kill Satan as soon as he rebelled, could he? Because why?
2: People didn't know it was rebellion at the time. Right. I mean the beings didn't. They
0: They wouldn't know what was gonna happen, right? And so if
3: it was rebellion at the time. If they had known that, then it would just say, Well look if you step out of line, God'll kill you. <laughs> You're
0: so out of fear. I mean right. so, and, and, and it's the same thing that would happen here um, with my own stuff that's happening. There's a lot of um, mistrust because someone has lied. And I want to shout and say, look, look what's happening. But I can't because then I would be hurting someone else's character. And so I don't want to go there. So I just have to wait and watch how it all plays out. And continue to be the person that I hope that other people see. But perceptions are everything, aren't they? And um, people do perceive your behaviors in a wrong fashion sometimes. What if you were God, how would you respond? Uh, If somebody said a lie about him, how would he respond? How should he respond? Should he be angry and deny such accusations? What if he had done that with the angels up above? So when Satan said, okay, God is is really very arbitrary. He's not loving at all like he says he is. What if God had said, okay, I'm going to get really mad about this and tell everybody this is the way I really am?
2: That wouldn't be the way he really was.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And so it's really difficult, isn't it, in your own relationships? Think about it. I mean, I really had a tough time this week.
4: I think God would always be re- reacting. If that's for with <laughs> others' best interests at heart, um,
0: instead of His own.
4: Right, but I think that the beauty of it is the, His interest for others, in a sense, defends Himself as well. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm.
5: Um,
0: And that's what we don't wait for as humans, I think.
5: Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Many years ago, I had something similar happen, Mm -hmm. and it was somebody that I felt, a girlfriend that I had felt close to through school and everything. And all of a sudden, she stopped speaking to me, stopped having anything to do with me, Mm -hmm. and I never found out whether I had done anything or she wouldn't let me know. Mm -hmm. So the only thing I could do was... I treated her extra kind. Went on for a good while. And then I decided that I would make her my secret pal. And did little special things. Mm -hmm. And it took about a year, but she came back around. But I was never told what the problem was. Mm -hmm. And uh, I felt so sad Mm -hmm. thinking that I lost this friend for some reason Mm -hmm. that was unknown. I have never found out. Mm -hmm. And so I think God has to be terribly sad Mm -hmm. at what has happened through Satan to this world, and that's why for years he has reaped so many blessings on us Mm -hmm. because he has to show what his true character
1: is. Good analogy. Well, you think when someone makes a false claim against someone else, that other person needs to say, you know, it isn't true, or no, um, that didn't happen. That the proclamation that they say, claiming against it, doesn't just—I mean—doesn't give evidence. But they—they they need to say. They, people will look to them and say, "Well, did you say that?" Well, you need to say, "No, I didn't." Or, you know, and then the evidence comes after. Mm-hmm. But um, it seems like if people say nothing um, and, and don't do the defense, like, "No, I, I still love you." No, I you know, mm-hmm. like God said, "I still I love you." Um, then they say well it's silence is guilt you know you hear that mm-hmm. if they don't say anything they must be guilty so mm-hmm. at least the initial what God would say is I love you I love you mm-hmm. and then the evidence would show that mm-hmm. he, he, he does love the, the universe um, not like Satan says
6: he was self-interest when you also look at Jesus himself when he was on this earth people lied about him mm-hmm. false accusations and how did he treat them? Mm-hmm. He, he stood up and said he, he wouldn't let them walk all over him. Mm-hmm. But he wasn't abusive in his actions towards them. Mm-hmm. I think that's the same model we can look at for ourselves, too, is mm-hmm. that you still love them, and he still died on the cross for them, mm-hmm. even though they lied about him. Mm-hmm. I think that's what we should be doing. Well.
7: Yep. Yeah. Okay in what he also was saying there at the cross when people were accusing him and um, you know telling him to come off the cross and his thought was for those people that were out there accusing him and I often think he probably considered the source that's the way I look at it when somebody's doing something against me I kind of consider the source now where are they coming from what is their burden what's going on with them and then that helps me not take offense by whatever they're saying about me i can kind of see the big picture god could see the big picture he realized these people don't know what they're doing and so he was able to look at their situation and say god forgive them they don't know what they're doing and if we can look at other people and you know this is sort of more of a uh, how to relate with other people but that's how god relates to us you know christ relates to us he looks at us as not quite getting the big picture and so if we can relate to other people that way that they don't always get the big picture and not to just take it personal oh they've said this about me so I'm going to attack them back like you were saying with your Mm -hmm. you know your situation you can kind of you know realize that you can be that bigger person and you can help someone else understand the bigger picture it's difficult to do isn't it yeah it is um, we can move to Sunday's lesson um, on the origin of sin. Uh, Revelation 12:7 talks about the war in heaven. Um, what was this war about? Would somebody read Ezekiel 28, 2 and 12 through 17?
2: In the pride of your heart you say, I am a God. I sit on the throne of a God in the heart of the seas. But you're not a man and not a God. So you think you are as wise as a God. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. You were a model of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you ruby, topaz, and emerald, chrysolite, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God and I expelled you, O guardian cherubim, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings.
7: So, what what was the war about? Did you catch me, that? Me, me, me. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> it was about me and in pride, and beauty, and slender, and wisdom, and it's pretty much self centeredness, isn't it? Um, can somebody read Isaiah fourteen? twelve through fourteen.
4: How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn, how you are cut you are cut down to the ground. You laid the nations below. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I
2: will make myself like the most high.
7: So what's this about wanting more?
2: Because
7: you deserve it. He wanted to be like a god. Okay. So it was very, very eye-focused, I will what I want to do. Um, There was a friend that had mentioned something about... um, How did that go, Linda?
0: One of my buddies, she was talking more about wanting more. That's what uh, Eve wanted. She wanted more. She wanted more than than what she already had in the Garden of Eden. So how can we know the truth and think God-like thoughts? That ability is in our grasp. It lies at the source of our life. It is still is a still small voice in all of us asking us to stop and listen. But it's not always easy to hear or recognize God's voice. Because He says, Be still and know that I am God.
7: How can we be still in this kind of a world? You know, with the TV... And the computers and the cell phones, do we, do we ever have any time where we can just be still?
2: And maybe that's by design. By
0: whose design?
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> our spaces, you know, our margins and our free time and our time mm-hmm. to just think.
0: There, there isn't a margin totally in our life, is there? And with the financial crisis that's going on, we're even more stressed about, you know, well, where's our retirement money going? It's down the tube. There are so many things veering for our attention. And what we do and what we say um, has everything to do with how we react to that. Do so you take time out to be still every day? We were talking earlier about the Sabbath gives us that permission to put down our checkbook, to turn off the TV, to... Um, But still, we've got the cell phones, but we don't have to read things that we normally do in the middle of the week. It gives us that permission, but do we have that permission every day?
7: (laughs) I used to, when I was in school, think, um, okay, God gave me permission not to study. I was a studyaholic. You know, in college, you know, I just wanted to study. I just wanted that great grade. And I know in college, that's your focus to get the education. And I told myself... On Saturday, it's, as the Sabbath was coming on, I have permission from the God of the universe not to pick up this book. <laughs> you know, and so you know, on Sabbath, you, but even Sabbath sometimes, people let things creep in. You know, we, you know, we don't want to hold the Sabbath so strict and, you know, rule oriented. That's not, you know, that, I think Satan gets us on both sides, you know, make it too strict. Or, uh, well, you know, it doesn't really matter. Just do whatever you feel like doing. So we've got to kind of find a, a, an equal, but that's a special day, so I like to keep that one extra special, but every day, like you said, we have to carve out time.
0: We're interested in knowing what maybe some of you do for uh, carving out that little niche of time. What does it look like for you when you put aside um, and, and be still and know that, know that God is God? What does that look like for you? Give us some ideas.
2: It's driving the car. I mean, I turn off the radio. A lot of times, people turn, the car, turn on the radio mm-hmm. or whatever. But I try to at least use that time to um, pray and think, and because I have a pretty similar route every all the time.
0: So, so you're on autopilot.
2: Mysterious. <laughs> so, I mean, that's that's one of the really rare free times I have, other than just when I'm studying the Bible. It's okay. good.
3: I think you have to kind of be aware of his presence all the time, though. It isn't just, I'm going to set three hours apart here and two hours there. You have to kind of uh, not react, but act. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just take a moment to just take 10 deep breaths and mm-hmm. kind of be still at that moment and mm-hmm. listen to God. Okay.
0: So being in the spirit of prayer. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anyone I feel else? Like
3: he's always with you. Yeah. He's right there with you.
0: I know for me,
4: my focus lately, um, in part due to the studies we do here in this class, has just always been kind of like, what does it say about God? As I'm as I'm reading things, because that, to me, has been the key. I mean, faith is supposed to be faith in something,
5: mm-hmm.
4: trust in something, and it's, it boils down to in in God and who He is, mm-hmm. and so. I can take something away if I have strengthened that trust bond um, by looking at who he is in what I'm reading or studying or in my prayer time.
0: Okay. Good. Anyone else?
6: Um, Recently I've decided to start fasting once a week just for, for reasons and I realized that even if it's not for a particular reason and you still stay committed to that, the day that I fast, I recognize God so much more because you realize how much you depend on who, you or your scheduled time you go and with someone. And it's a conscious reminder why you're not doing that. And so it really brings you back. You have to focus, why am I not doing this? And then your mind automatically thinks of God. And so I found that something that really helps me throughout my week besides Sabbath. It's just these 24 hours where you're not really changing your routine. You're not changing your everyday habits. But it's just a conscious thing that you're always doing throughout that 24 hours that's bringing you back to God.
0: Very good. Now, through the, the, the thread, through everything that everyone has said, is that you have a discipline. You actually discipline your mind to think, like Lisa said, to think about the presence of God all the time. You're disciplining yourself to not eat or think about God. You're disciplining yourself to ask that question. You know, how do I trust Him? How do I? Uh, what do I think about Him? Um, and uh, you've got to discipline to to turn off the radio and to. And just to think thoughts of God. I mean, you can go anywhere with a a silent thought, can't you? I mean, doesn't your brain race like crazy sometimes? Um, So it's a discipline. Part of this is a discipline um, to know and to love and to uh, become one with God. Let's go to Monday's lesson. Read the fourth paragraph in Monday's lesson, someone. Read the fourth paragraph. In order for Satan to persuade Eve to
7: disobey God, he sought to attack the character of God. He said, basically, that God was fundamentally a selfish being who limits the development of his intelligent creatures, keeping them in a state of involuntary submission through the threat of death. He was not what he claimed to be, a God of love, but was camouflaging his true character through the appearance of loving attitude. Satan was projecting onto God his own deceitful nature and the real intentions of his corrupted heart. His attack in heaven against God and God's loving nature
0: was now being transferred to this planet. Thank you. This was lies about God. Again, we're still going back to the same thing, lies about God, and it still goes on today. And the philosophers through all time Have continued to deface and slander God's name Think of all the times the devil has spread false ideas about God Right from the very beginning He began lying to mankind about the kind of person God was First to Eve Then from Eve to Adam Then to Cain In convincing him to rebel against the arbitrary worship requirements of God Leading him eventually to murder his righteous brother Then to all the inhabitants uh, before the flood The time in which the wickedness of man was great in the earth and every imagination of the thoughts of his art, only evil continually. That's what it says in Genesis about So all man was evil. Remember, they said only one man was good and that man was Noah. How successful has the devil been in his campaign of celestial rumors? The evidence is all around us. Atheism, agnosticism of all kinds, God getting the blame for everything and the praise for nothing. A devil-inspired ignorance of God that denies God not only of his real nature, but also his personality, even his very existence. God is only a mockery of God, a George Burns figure croaking out jokes, a Santa Claus image no longer believed in by adults, a pathetic persona left on the sidelines of history. An enormous tribute to the lying rumors Satan has spread about God. So successful are his misrepresentations that a belief in God is equated with irrational thinking. Have you heard that? Of course. Faith is seen in opposition to common sense. I mean, if you have faith, you don't have common sense. Something done despite what you know to be true. We're doing it because we're not really sure, you know to voltaire remember that famous philosopher voltaire i studied about him observing religious faith in his time he says quote faith consists in believing not what seems true but what seems false to our own understanding End quote. so um, we're not really sure that we understand this thing about faith is what voltaire is saying it's it's kind of sort of true, but really it's very false to our own understanding. Trust in the God of the Bible is not supposed to make sense at all, so the devil suggests. Such reasoning leads either to belief that makes no sense or to no belief whatsoever, both of which achieves the devil's aims. What do you think about that? Isn't that true?
3: Well, there's blind faith and intelligent faith. Okay. And intelligent faith is based on what the Bible has taught us and what God has revealed to us, and we base our faith on that. That's what the road to Emmaus explains, is mm-hmm. that
0: Jesus didn't just
3: say, here I am. He explained from the Bible who he was, and then when they finally saw the reality of it, then they could see Jesus.
0: Whereas if he had revealed himself right at the beginning, it, wouldn't have been, it would have been for naught but he shared with them the evidences of Scripture.
3: Intelligent
0: faith. Yeah. So we look at the evidences and then we believe instead of just out there blind faith. He is the father of lies. The devil portrays God as the one who does not make any sense at all. Okay. Have you heard friends say stuff like that? Have you thought that yourself? Very important thought. Tuesday's lesson. Your law is in my heart. Is what Psalms 40 verse 8 says. It's the expression of the character and the will of the lawgiver. I thought this lesson was quite good in explaining the great controversy and, and the, the, the father of lies and how lies created um, creates the selfishness. Is what do we believe? That lies believed create what? Broken trust. Broken trust and love and then broken trust creates Fear, and, Fear and, selfishness, and selfishness, right? Results in the act of sin. Right. And then that changes our mind and our characters, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I saw that playing out this week. And, and if you see it in your own life, it's just, it, you can then start to understand that cascade of events that happens. Um, so I think that's very, very important. Uh, they talk about the word lawlessness here, which comes from the root word anomia. And anomia means a law. And A, of course, is without a law. So right there in the the middle of the page on Tuesday's lesson, they suggest that it refers to a deep-seated attitude in the heart of rebellious human beings. That also can be without law, can't it? So when you're without law, when I was a teenager and I rebelled, I was rebelling against my parents' wishes or my parents' laws in the household or society's laws, all right? So when we're without law, the word lawlessness can mean that we're rebellious, doesn't it? Can you see that? Yeah. So rebelliousness is created when we don't want to be a part of that law. But what is the law of God? Love. Love. How do you How can you say that, Bo? There's so many do nots. <laughs> Got me on <laughs> well, if we, th- yes.
2: You love know
4: our children, you much. Know, and the first word they like to, to say is no. No. if
1: you know, They hear us say no so much. <laughs> and know if you don't do that, you'll be hurt. Okay. We're going to, that's going to be hard for you. Mm-hmm. And so the Lord's knows are kind of like that hinge to keep us safe.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and we fight that. Mm-hmm. We do fight it all the time. One of the things he says is, don't lie or don't uh, steal. Why would that be good for us not to do those things? Because it breaks our relationships, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. And so if we think about all those no's, that is the character of God. He wants us to love rather than to break those laws, right? definitely yeah let me ask you the question what are which are is at the very bottom of the page in the pink there in what subtle ways is Satan trying to get us away from God and his love what are some of the things that he tries to get us to do I think one of the ways is busyness so if you have one job maybe it's good to have another part time job I fall in that okay okay what else does he get us to do? What are some subtle ways that he gets us to get away from God's love? You
5: no, know, and being busy, you can be busy in all good things. Exactly. And not anything that would be wrong, but too busy is wrong for you because then you don't have time. You're too tired, or you're not thinking properly. Even though you're doing all these good things, you have to learn to say no sometimes. Right. Yes. Okay, the busy will do anything you possibly can to
1: keep us Mm -hmm. It goes
2: back to that earlier talk
1: that we were having about spending time with him. Mm -hmm. That's the very thing he does want us to do. Exactly. Because I remember when I would hear people talk about spending time, and I think, yeah. It's all really easy for you to say that. You don't work full time, you don't have a house full of kids, you don't do this, you don't that. and now I'm retired. And you know, I have just as hard a
2: time now. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I, I have to just say, no, nothing is going to separate right you this thing. Exactly. <laughs>
0: exactly. Um, I hear that retired people are busier than if you're working full time. I don't
1: know about that, but I, I think it's the most wonderful thing that was ever invented. <laughs>
0: All right. What else besides busyness? What are some of the other th- subtle things going on?
2: I think one would be discouragement. If
1: oh, good. Find themselves in situations and they're they're praying for help. Please okay. God, help. And then then help isn't forthcoming mm-hmm. in the time frame that they see. Then they're discouraged and saying, "Well, God's not going to help me. I'll look somewhere else for help mm-hmm. to solve this." Okay. Which may be just inside or maybe other people, but uh-huh. becoming independent of God's...
0: Yeah, and that's one of the things I had down was independence and not thinking that our community can help us and be, and, and encourage us. And so when we become very independent and say, I can do it all myself, then I think that's another thing that is subtle. And we find that in our lives today. Remember 150 years ago, before there was a TV, we had porches and people sat out on porches and when they took walks, they talked to one another. Now we don't sit on our porches. We have them still, but we don't sit on them. We go inside and watch the boob tube. So we don't have neighbors and we aren't neighborly. And we don't have the relationships that we could have if we were watching somebody who's getting paid to entertain us, right? Even if it's good stuff, you know. Even if it's the news, we got to catch on to you know all this crisis that's going on as well. Yeah. Are we on Wednesday? I think we're on <laughs> Wednesday already. <laughs> yeah, we want to get to Wednesday because she's got something good. Okay.
7: Well, Wednesday is about sin as rebellion against God's government. At the very beginning, it says Paul describes the cosmic role of Christ. Can somebody read Colossians? 1 16 and 17
0: And then someone else look up Colossians 3 and 4 we're going to read that as well. 3:14 314. 314 sorry:
3: mm-hmm. For by him all things were created things in heaven and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities all things were created by him and for him he is before all things and in him all things hold together
7: I like that. In Him all things are whole together. Can somebody read that? Colossians 3.14 now.
3: And beyond all these things, put on love, which is perfect bond of unity.
7: This week my sister had sent me an email, and it was about a sermon that was heard. And the sermon was by Louis Giglow. And he, t- he talked about how big God is and how he, you know, speaks things into existence and has created the universe and how he holds it together. As we're reading, he holds things together. And during this presentation, being a medical person, I thought that there, it was interesting that uh, laminin is in our bodies a, sort of a glue that holds membranes together, actually the base of a bone. uh, membrane to the cells above it so it's like a, a, a glue and so i was thinking well you know christ holds us together he's created us and he knows the details of holding us together he's got it all down and he he comes back and he protects us and uh he we can go to him because he holds things all together he's trying to recreate us and in his image he's trying to keep us together well, hold our relationships hold, together. hold our and relationships and together in mm-hmm. love and trust. Well, one thing that the the program that Louis was doing came, brought out is this particular molecule is in the shape of a cross. And so he was saying how wonderful that is. That molecule shows how that bonding... Holds things together, so that was kind of interesting to me. Um, but then, as I was looking it up in the in my medical book, I did find about the membranes and you know and the bones and how that all works. But then I also saw how when cancer comes into our bodies, it also uses that same bonding and it comes in, you know, and it gets in. And that's just like how Satan uses God's goodness; he he uses his everything that's good about God and he finds a way to get in he finds
0: that he tries to go that same path so cancer actually changes the lumina changes that cross changes the picture of the cross to get into our system and and that's what Satan is doing as well he changes the picture of the cross to make it more of a payment idea or whatever, and that's a cancer that then we don't understand the whole character of God. Yeah, so I thought that was pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah, very interesting. I liked it too. Don't uh, you think that's neat?
7: Probably go on. And it talks about Job. Would somebody read Job 1 8 through 11?
0: Yeah, so now we're going to talk a little bit about how there was a great controversy even about Job. Do you remember how Satan came up? to the councils of heaven, and he accused God of something. Let's read about that.
8: Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now, stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face.
0: He's saying, Job is serving you out of selfish concerns to get what he has, to get all the blessings he's got. And God is also blessing Job to gain his respect. So you see the two-way street that he's accusing God of? And if we get into trouble, like Job did, so we know the story that God said, okay, um, I'll let you um, see what you can do. And did he go down there and bless Job more? No, he destroyed him.
2: Yes? But you get good insight into where Satan was coming from himself when you... What a person says and how they look at things and how they judge other situations tells you a lot about what they are thinking and their frame of mind. We asked earlier, how would Satan have gone the route he did? And one of the possible suggested answers might be the way he said Job looked at God was really the way he looked at God. Mm -hmm. That it was a um, you know, all this good things you've ever done for me is just to sort of make me beholding to you. Mm -hmm. You know, and so on so you i think you see a little insight into satan's perspective of god when you Mm -hmm. see his accusation against job for sure that's true
0: so if we get into trouble like job did let's say we lose all our money this week maybe some of you did (laughs) um do we rebel and forget about god because now he's taken away our blessings and has he taken away our blessings
2: Sometimes you almost have feel that the shoe is about to drop. If things are really going well, you think, "Oh, you know, any minute now something bad's going to happen," because that's always our experience on earth. And mm-hmm. I think one of the ways Satan tries to twist our view of God is to say, "God did that to you," just like you, Job, and his his wife always you know, just curse God and get it over with.
0: <laughs> uh, wasn't there a black comedian in the '70s that said, "God's going to get you for that"? You remember him? I forget his name. Is it Flip Wilson? Flip Wilson, yeah. Flip Wilson. God's gonna get you for that. It was, and it really turned, I think it helped, I think it really helped clarify that that's what they really thought about God. That God is out to get us. Um, He is ready just to zap us. He is ready just to take away, um, our blessings. And I think it helped turn the tide of people's thoughts about, yeah, God is really like that. He just does, He's just waiting any minute to, to zap us.
3: We have to decide what our purpose on earth is. Mm-hmm. Is it to gain riches and to become famous and to become a movie star mm-hmm. and to have a big house and all this stuff? Or is it to let God in our lives be revealed to the world? What's That's our purpose on earth.
0: And to serve others, yeah.
3: And so all of the material things that we try to uh, accumulate, really, are distractions. They keep us from doing our real purpose. That's
0: true.
8: Philippians Paul talks about being content with little and content with much, and in all things being content. Mm-hmm. And I draw from that the lesson that so it isn't the, the what you have or the lack thereof. Mm-hmm. It's a contentment that you have that I believe is centered in, in God mm-hmm. Him and knowing his love. Mm-hmm. And there's a wonderful quote from Ellen White that talks about Jesus was not elated by praise nor dejected by censure. Mm-hmm. That is, I think, along the same line. So when people... Whether you have a lot, whether you have little, whether people are stroking you or whether people are tearing you down, it doesn't matter. We can have a better focus, one that is Christ-like, that is just on God. And then a thousand will fall at your hand and all of that. It, it doesn't matter. Because
0: you have the relationship with God. You, have that. you know you know exactly where you're going and who you're, what your purpose is. Very good.
3: Jesus told his disciples when they went out, when Jesus was still here on earth, don't take anything with you. Just go, and God will provide your needs. We are so weak at trusting him. Mm -hmm. It's very true. Mm -hmm. And yet he is there. He provides everything we do have our very life. Mm
0: -hmm. Let me just share with you um, a quote from Desire of Ages 764. Christ says, All that hate me love death, That's in Ephesians 4.18. But God gives them existence for a time that they may develop their character and reveal their principles. This accomplished, they receive the results of their own choice. By a life of rebellion, Satan and all who unite with him place themselves so out of harmony with God that his very presence is to them a consuming fire. The glory of him who is love will destroy them. So it's kind of on the same idea. The person that is right with God, that knows his purpose, that knows who he is, what his, uh, what his life should be like, is the person that stays in harmony with God. But the person that is out of harmony with God and unites with Satan and his principles of rebellion, they will be so out of harmony with God's plan for their lives that... His very presence is to them what she says is is a consuming fire. We've talked about that here in this class. And it's hard for me to understand that it's the fire that we want to be in, isn't it? Uh, because God's glory is the fire. Because we've always thought about fire as being the destructive force. Um, and that's what it is here on this earth, isn't it? But there is a fire that is greater than ourselves that we want to be in. It's it's a really interesting thought.
2: And you can also think of fire as a cleansing thing, even the end fire that wipes away all that's bad and all that was mm-hmm. in order to prepare for a new phase of all that's good and all that's new. Mm-hmm. And is that a bad thing? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, and that's kind of, I think, uh, in the Old Testament it talks about God purifying the Levites as a refine in a, in a refiner's fire. fire. Mm-hmm. You know, so we don't like the fire very well and we try to avoid all things that feel like fire. Like emptiness and loneliness and and uh, fear and rejection and we try to do everything we can to avoid that and maybe that experience is the very thing that cleanses us come makes us come to God and cleanses us of those uh, things we still hang on to that are not from God. Mm -hmm.
0: And that's exactly what it does, is it purifies, it cleanses us. It's sort of like a piece of metal being thrown into the fire. It now can be molded and shaped like it needs to be, and that's what God wants us to do. Does that mean that he brings on these things to help
2: us come to him? Sometimes I think he might. You know, the, the Old Testament is full of God trying to put him in situations that make him think, and then being frustrated because even though I put you in that situation to make you think, you didn't think. You didn't come back. You know, you, you didn't. it didn't dawn on you that I protected you through all this time and now I'm not protecting you. Look what happens, you know. Mm-hmm. When you go your own way, look what happens. And it didn't make them think. And we have the same parallels in our own lives. Mm-hmm. We just want to solve our own problems, stay away from those things that feel bad, and have fun, you know, have a, have a nice life and leave me alone. <laughs> That's
0: true. Okay, do we want to get into the okay. next question? Why does, um, uh, why does God allow evil? It's a biggie. In five minutes, <laughs> In five minutes or less. Yeah. Why does God allow evil? Um, this is an interesting statement, and I got it from Jonathan Gallagher's site. The Greek philosopher Epicurus framed it well some three centuries before Christ. So this is before Christ. The gods can either take away evil from the world And will not or being willing to do so cannot or they neither can nor will or lastly, they are both able and willing. If they have the will to remove evil and cannot, then they're not omnipotent. If they can, but they will not, then they're not benevolent. If they are neither willing or able, then they are neither omnipotent or benevolent. Lastly, if they are both able and willing to in- 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 annihilate evil, then how does it exist? You know, it can it can make you wrap your your crazy little mind around all of this. <laughs> and so, uh, I have a patient that uh, when he comes to see me, I'd love to spend a couple hours with him, but I can't. But he has he has become so wrapped up in these ideas that. He used to believe in God, he tells me, but now he doesn't believe in him at all because he's thought through all of these processes so much that it's just like this Greek philosopher. So the frequent conclusions are God is not all-powerful because he does not remove evil, even though he can, or God is not all-loving since he either created or permits evil to exist, or God is not all-wise since he does not seem to know or admit that evil exists.
4: But that assumes that love
6: controls.
0: That's very true. And so if we don't get back into the great controversy of why did God allow Satan to do what he did?
3: Right,
0: then then we come to these conclusions that God is just saying, "Okay, I'm just going to be passive and just let it all happen and, and let's just see what happens." And so don't you hear that some people say, say, oh, well, God's just sitting back and just watching it and just sitting in his lazy chair and allowing everything to happen. For what purpose? Yes. As
3: human beings, we all want
0: to have it both ways.
3: <laughs> we want to be free? Yeah. We, we want to take the freedom of choice that God has given us, but boy, we still want to have somebody to blame rather than ourselves for the consequences of our actions. You know, that, that's... That's a much in more comfortable spot for us to be mm-hmm. in our in our humanness.
0: Mm-hmm. That's a good thought. So we really have to keep going back to that great controversial theme.
3: I was reading John. Excuse me. I was reading John Gallagher last night as well, and um, he was talking about if God stopped every accident, every disaster, um, he would be performing miracles all the time, but we would still live in a world of sin. We have to cleanse the sin first before we can really live in peace.
0: We wouldn't uh, wouldn't see the playing out of sin.
8: Our humanness includes that disease of sin. So our perspective is flawed. Uh, I believe there are people and have been people in this world who the concept... uh, and, And it strikes me that often when we want to blame God... It's because we want to avoid the suffering, we want to avoid the pain, we want to avoid the consequences that come. And I believe there are people and have been people who have had such a strong understanding of God and his love. I mean, you read Fox's Book of Martyrs, it's quite clear that some of these people, they didn't fear being burned at stake, uh, that they, they understand that this first death is not the answer. I don't mean to minimize suffering. I don't want to right. come across with that. But I believe there are people who have understood with such depth the love of God and the great controversy, whether they could call it that by name,
0: Correct.
8: that they aren't swayed. Coming back to what I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. they're not swayed by the suffering.
0: Mm-hmm. Very good. Yeah. So we come to this conclusion. Uh, we can come to this conclusion that we can write off God... Or we can say God is so loving and so full of love that he is allowing this sin thing to be played out until it culminates in an understanding of this is what sin actually does. It causes death. It changes our mind so much that it doesn't allow us to be free to think about God as a loving person. One that allows that freedom to happen
2: I think of God as being respectful. <laughs> I mean to me, when Satan was in heaven making all his accusations, God gave him he respected he did not destroy him. He gave him a chance an arena if you will to to show what he thought, how it would work out. but when God came to satan's world in the form of Jesus, Satan t- you know was very disrespectful of God and immediately set about to try to kill him. Mm-hmm. And to us today, he respects our, our decisions. And then we get the consequences of not only our decisions, but everybody else's. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's very respectful of God to allow us to, you know, make right and wrong decisions on, on our own and try to guide us, but respects us if we don't. You know, if that's your choice, you know, I'm not going to force you to come to heaven. You know, I'm not going
0: to force you to do right. It's true, and that's part of his methodology of freeing us or making us free to make those decisions and those choices. One of the best chapters to read regarding this of course is about sin, the origin of sin, first and second chapters of Desire of Ages, but the other one is that i found to be very helpful was the chapter it is finished is only six or seven pages and if you had time this afternoon or sometime this week to read that chapter it is finished it's just a wonderful revelation of how god is allowing that sin to happen and it really wasn't until the death of jesus that even the angels that decided to stay with jesus two-thirds of the angels that started decided to stay with jesus it wasn't until the death actually happened that they understood the full impact of what sin was all about. And um, that's just awesome to me that those people, those angels up there, they were watching this for over 4,000 years. And it wasn't until they actually saw Jesus, their creator, die on the cross that they understood what Satan was really all about. And it was at that point that they made their decision... We can't listen to Satan any longer. We can't even surmise that he might have been right. I thought that was a very interesting thought.
3: I wondered if Jesus would really let Satan kill him. Yeah, yeah. At the very last minute, wasn't he going to save himself? Mm -hmm. Because they just couldn't understand how deeply he
0: loved us. So it wasn't until then. So I just thought that was just an interesting paragraph there in that that, uh, chapter. I really submit it to you for your reading. Well, let's pray and thank you again for your <laughs> input and help. Father in heaven, your love is so great. Sometimes we are just overwhelmed with um, what you do for us and in us. And when we think about the cross and what you did there and how, what it meant to, not just to us as human beings, but what it meant to the whole universe, we are just overwhelmed as well. And so we thank you for your love, your acts of freedom toward us. And I pray that as we make decisions this week, as we leave this room, that we will remember your presence. We will remember your love. We will remember your character and that we will want to emulate that to those that we meet so that they also will understand it, too. That is our prayer today in Jesus name. Amen.